I see Brian week by week. We pray together as pastors uh, for each other and for the region, and um, I get a firsthand look at his heart, and, um, and it's a beautiful heart, and, and I'm so grateful for him, and um, I know in particular um, my family too. And so um, I want to just pray for you, Brian, as you um, minister to us today. Jesus, thank you for Brian. Thank you, Lord God, for him going into uh, areas that are really, really hard. And thank you, Lord, for his soft and loving heart and wanting to reach those that uh, others would choose not to even look at and ignore, but not Brian. He cares for their heart, cares for their soul, cares for their body, cares for their mind. So I pray that you would bless him in his ministry as a pastor Bless him on the streets of Hartford and continue to, to bless him as he goes forth obediently into the areas you've called him to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. Is this thing still working now? I moved it. I have a face for radio and an ear for not these things. I got to do two things. One, we're gonna, I'm a little bit different. I'm going to share my story. Hey, could I get a glass of water in back? Could someone help me out? Does anybody have a hard-boiled egg? How about a cough drop? Someone have a cough drop? Like, seriously, I've been having a cold all week. Anybody? It's a church. You've got to have cough drops. Come on. None of that, like, airborne weird stuff. Yeah, give it up for me. The autumn. This is awesome. It's a Ricola from the mountains. So I'm going to do a couple of things today. One, I'm going to share my story. Whenever I was, uh, you stand up in front of folks, I was ordained in East Africa in Tanzania. Um, because that's where every uh, suburbanite white kid from West Hartford, Connecticut goes to get ordained a priest, right? In the middle of the bush in Tabor, Tanzania. Um, but it happened in a roundabout way because that's always God's way, isn't it? Doing things the roundabout way. And when you find yourself in a position of being confronted by the living God, he's going to ask you a simple question. Is your yes going to be yes? Unequivocally, when you say yes to the Lord God, you are surrendering every single right you have to life. Amen? Amen? Everything we have. I mean, that includes like your car. It includes what you have in your refrigerator. It includes your life. It includes your job. It even includes your children. So we have to ask ourselves first and foremost, when we say yes to Jesus, is he worth it? Is he worth it? You know, and there's that beautiful song we've been singing, Andrew Peterson, the refrain is always, yes. So we're going to crack up a little bit. I was, uh, <laughs> before we started, Nicole said, hey, Brian, can I get a few slides? And I, I need a headshot. And I said to my wife, Lisa, Nicole wants slides and a headshot. And she was like, oh, silly girl. She doesn't know my husband. And we don't. So if you have my headshot up there, this is great. There's my headshot. It went away. That's me in the snowbank. In a blizzard in 1978 because I don't have any color. Look at that. No, you can leave it. This is perfect. I have no slides. We have no headshot. Amen? I'm a street evangelist. I preach in Africa. We don't use those things. So here's the deal. I'm going to tell you what we do in Africa. I'll stand in front of you. I say my name is Brian Bywater. I have one wife, and Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Amen? 
And you should not listen to anybody preach the word of God until you have that. In Tanzania, we sing a song before we get up to the pulpit, and it's saying, I have a word from the Lord. And I'm trusting God has a word for me, and y'all get to just listen in on it. It's really interesting stuff. I grew up, like I said, over in West Hartford, Connecticut. I was a young kid growing up, as we all are. I went to a church. I want to be careful, too. Two things. When I speak today, do not think I'm anybody holy and righteous and mighty, save for what God has done in my life. You know, people always look at me and say, Brian, you are amazing where you go. That's my call. That's my call. I can think of nothing else I can do. I don't wake up in the morning and say, I want to go and hang out with this guy before he overdoses. I wake up and say, Jesus, I'm yours. Where do you want to go? And I show up scared to death. When I was a young kid, I had a speech impediment. And sometimes when I stand up, I, I can feel it behind me, and I, I, I start to stutter again. But God's done an amazing work in my life. And Paul said the same thing. By the grace of God, I am who I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I tried harder than everybody, not to please God, because my salvation was earned on the cross of Christ. He shed blood, earned my salvation. So all of our lives are nothing more than saying thank you in response to what God has done for us. Amen? It's just saying thank you. That's all we do. So I got her, as I was a little kid growing up in West Hartford, when I was like five years old, man, I went up to the altar rail. I went to an Episcopal church. And you know what's really cool about God? He can use anybody he wants. Amen? He can use any church he wants, right? As long as like Bible believing. But man, he used apostate dirt bags for his glory. I'm proof. He uses donkeys. He used striped and whittled sticks. What the heck? If God can use that, he can sure as heck use you. That's amazing news, isn't it? So I'm sitting there. I go up to the altar rail. And before we had communion, like in our tradition, you had to like go through all these things. And I've kind of jettisoned some of that. But the priest put his hands on my head. And he prayed over me. And I felt heat enter my head from the top of my skull all the way through my bottom to the bottom of my feet. I was filled with the Holy Spirit of God when I was a very young child, and I had no one to explain any of that to me. None of it. So I did what any young kid would do. I'm like, man, I'm never going to wash my head again. <laughs> and look what happened. <laughs> I don't suggest you do that. But you see, God's Holy Spirit falls upon his people at his discretion, doesn't he? You know, a lot of us have this idea of if this person has these credentials, then all of a sudden that person must have more of the Holy Ghost than that person. Paul talks about that later on. He says, look, I'm a Jew of Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the right day, went to all the conferences, got all the belt buckles. I even have all the right Bible apps. And he says, I consider all of that as a hindrance, didn't he? The word he uses there is the Greek translates into skubala. It means human poo-poo. I said poo-poo in church. Make a note of that. Now that's really important because if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, it says, look, when you set up the camp, when you set up your city, if you have to relieve yourself, go 100 yards outside of camp. That's where the first thing to having to bury your stuff talked about when you have to go out, right? He said, because that is unholy. That is what keeps you from my presence. Paul is saying, every single thing I thought I had to do was actually a hindrance and was keeping me from the presence of God. Amen? That's a remarkable thing. So we have to ask ourselves, what's keeping us from the presence of God? What's keeping us from understanding the love and the mercy and the compassion that God has for all people? So I had a slide that wasn't there. It might be there, but it's from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. It's very simple. 
Now, I'm going to tell you guys, too, I'll talk all about this Bible. I, if you want me to hold it, I'll hold it. But I've got this sucker hidden in my heart, right, that I might not sin against him. It's amazing. But he says, look, this is after all the creation story. God made all things, right? And the last day he made the most amazing things ever, right? He made man, and, and he picked up the dirt. And into that, what did he breathe? He breathed his own life into this dirt, this lifeless form. He breathed life. He said, look, after that, I'm going to give you guys just one task. I said, look at this. You are to be co-regions, rulers over all creation, right? Not just the suburbs, not just the city, all of creation. If you have to open it up, we can go right there. I hear Bibles flipping. Let's be good Baptists. 28. Now, I have the NIV. If that's not good enough, then you can use whatever you got. And then God said, let us make man in his our image and our likeness and let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them and god blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase the number fill the earth subdue it rule over it the fish of the air the birds of the sea over every living creature that moves on the earth it's the word of the lord Thanks be to God. Look, Jesus is more than a tree hugger. That dude spoke it into creation. Amen? Now, I was, before we came into the service, someone said, like, are we going to go all the way to the book of Revelation? Sure, we can, right here. What is the end goal of humanity? When we die, where is our final resting place? Where? The new earth. Right? I looked up, Revelation 21, there's a new heaven and a new what? A new earth. We were called in the first garden to rule and care for all things, not just the poor. That's my big point today, right? If we only think God calls us to work only with the poor, that's liberation theology, that's a bunch of hooey. I picked coffee for the Sandinistas when I was a radical communist before I was saved. Trust me. If our end goal is to be on this new earth with this new redeemed humanity, even redeemed goldfish, what the heck is that about? A redeemed giraffe. What does a redeemed giraffe look like? A short neck? <laughs> we read in the book of Revelation what happens, guys. Now this is, you can have, I mean, like, I'm not speaking heresy. Trust me. When we look in the book of Revelation, there's not going to be a sun beating down on us, right? No more heat. The giraffe's tongue is purple. Things I ponder when I'm sick. If a giraffe's tongue is purple so it won't get sunburnt, is it going to be purple on the new earth? I really don't know. All I know is this. While we're waiting for the new earth to be formed, our job given at the very last day of creation was to care over every single human being, man, woman, and child on the face of this earth till he comes back and claims his own. Amen? Because why? They're made in his image. I'm looking at God's image right here. Every single one of you. It doesn't matter what your faith is. It doesn't matter what you're doing, what you've done, where you are going. You are all image bearers of the living God. Amen? That's the position we have to spring from. Now look, we're good Bible theologians. We can say, look, I can be an image bearer but not a child. Children of God come through adoption. Adoption comes through faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Amen? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through 
Absolutely. The answer is always Jesus. They look like a squirrel, smell like a squirrel, but the answer has to be Jesus. It's true. So if we're going to make our ministry and all of our work towards God's hearts towards the poor, the first thing we have to do is to prepare ourselves to see in the other the image of God. How do we do that? It's a good question. Since I'm the guy up front with the Bible and the stool, I'm probably the one who should answer that. Jesus had gathered his people at one point, the disciples, the inner core, and he sat them down, and they, it's the Sermon on the Mount, and he gave them this beautiful litany. And remember, this was descriptive. It wasn't prescriptive, it was descriptive. Descriptive. Most of Scripture is descriptive, right? There's oratory commands, right? The Greek is you shall, you must. But it's this amazing story, a true story, what God has done for us. He said, look, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does it take to get a pure heart? Well, Scripture talks about pure religion is this, to care for the widow and the orphan, Right? We're going to do that, and our hearts are going to be transformed. When our hearts are transformed, right, then we're going to have eyes to see and ears to hear. We're going to be able to walk and see where he is. We're going to say things like, Lord, I know that you're already there. Show me where you are. You know, just yesterday we were downtown at the street church. It was absolutely beautiful. In the midst of all that, there was another church from another group walking around handing out tracts. And they gave me a track, which is always fun when you wear a collar and people give you a track. Because if you wear a liturgical collar, clearly you ain't saved. Amen? No, man. You know why I wear that sucker? We use it as a reminder to have a slave collar around us. That's why we wear them. We're doulos, right? I'm your slave, Jesus. Where do you want me to go? So they're handing out all of those tracks because clearly nobody in downtown Hartford saved. If you're poor... People assume you don't know Jesus. Amen? Man, you want to learn about Jesus? You come down to Hartford and hang out with our friends. When you live in a tunnel and you pray for your daily bread, you mean that. It's not like, oh, Lord, let me get my raise. It's, oh, Lord, let me just finally find some food. Jesus at one point said, look, the poor will always be among you. Why? Right? Didn't he say that? If we go way back, you guys know the year of Jubilee. What happens in the year of Jubilee? Supposed to do what? Forgive your debts. How many of you guys practiced the year of Jubilee? You did? I want to, can you borrow me some money? <laughs> no, but it's true, right? God never intended to have a system where people remained in poverty. It was never supposed to be. Why? Because, you know, when you look at that, say you have a widow, right? This is God's understanding of, like, why widows. Here's a woman, had a, had a, had a husband, right? Might have had some kids. Look at the book of Ruth. It's a great example of what was going on. Then what did that widow do to become a widow? Nothing. She lived in a broken world. Amen? Things happened to that widow. Death which was now part of God's original design. When you look at it, it's a long discussion. Death crept into that woman's life, and because of the brokenness of somebody else, her life got knocked out from under her. So the system of the Jubilee, the forgiveness of all of that, was to let people live a life because they're in a broken situation. So when we start to see those people as not always objects of what they've done, 
we start to have the compassion that Christ had on us. So welcome one another as Christ welcomed you, and then God will be glorified. Now, when we see somebody that's living on the street, when we see the poor, we don't see what God sees. We don't see their image. I'm going to be honest and really upfront with you. When most of you guys see a person holding a sign, they're a load of hooey. I know almost every single one of them that live and work in this area. I stop, I talk to them, I invite them to come and work with caseworkers. They don't want your money for anything else but taking care of their own junk. Amen? So if you're moved to compassion, give to people who can help. But when we're looking at that, we have to be able to get beyond ourselves, get outside of our comfort zone, and walk up and begin to learn their names and their story. If you have the heart of Christ, you will have a desire to learn their story. Jesus always walked up to people and listened to their whole story. Walked up to the blind man. What is it you want me to do? Dude, I'm blind. Are you kidding me? Let me see. No, what would you like me to do? Way back in the beginning, Adam and Eve, they're hanging out, right? They're just naked and happy, not having a job or nothing. They mess up, they run away. God walks in the garden. Andre said a few weeks ago, it was beautiful. Did God walk in and go like, what did you do? Or he's like, oh man, where are you? We have that relentlessly pursuing God of love that comes after us. So church, we're called to love the poor just like that. To go after them to seek after them, to find them. A lot of times they're outside the church because of what they've done. God pursues the sinner, amen? No one can come to the Father unless first they've been called. They're going to be called because he goes after them. I got a great professor when I was in seminary, absolutely amazing man. He was a, um, uh, uh, he raised sheepdogs in, uh, in, in New Zealand or Nova Scotia, one of those N-words, right? They're cold. He's in a cold place. And he was training these sheepdogs, and it was beautiful because, you know, life imitates art. This was the gospel. And he says, with the sheepdog, uh, where they are right there, it's, a lot of times they have to jump in the ocean because the sheep graze on these precipices and fall in the water. What happens when your wool sweater gets wet? No, it stinks. No, besides that, you're right. It gets full of water and it stinks. So these sheep fall in, right, start to swim away from the safety, and the sheepdog instinctively are trained to go after that, cut them off. There's a command called away to me, where they get between the danger of going off to Africa and then drowning and the sheep, and they're called to bring them back in. Beautiful, isn't it? Well, what happens too often is the sheep is so caught up in the, the sheepdog so caught up in the pursuant of the sheep who's going off to inevitable death that they do not hear the voice of the shepherd calling them back in, and then both of them sink to the abyss. Jesus did not shirk from death for us. Amen? The Father said, go get that one. And so should we. You know, David prayed the best prayer ever. Because everything you do is the best ever, isn't it? We love you, Dave, flat out. But you were seeing, let the world would see that we love one another. The world, the sin, are outside these doors. They're not going to come in. How are they going to see us love unless we love out loud on the street? How's it going to happen? The early church 
You know, when the plague swept through all of Europe, what did they do? They didn't sit there and have a prayer meeting. They prayed, and they went into the asylums, caring for the sick, giving up their own lives because they knew if they died from the plague, they were bulletproof. They couldn't die. They had eternal life with Jesus. The end of chapter 11 of Hebrews, the great hall of witnesses, same thing. I don't have time to tell you about boom, 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 boom. And it says, of those who were waiting and saw the hope from a distance, they went about in animal skins, they were sawn in two, lived in caves. And this beautiful great line, it says, the world was not worthy of them. Was the world worthy of Jesus, who for the glory set before him, endured the shame of the cross? No, the world's not worthy of that. But he did, and why did he do it? Yes, to save us from hell. But finally, the ultimate reason God did that was for us to have union and kinship with him. Amen? He saved us that we might be with him for all of eternity, to worship him, to be with him in unity, to have fellowship again. Because his image is just going back to his image. He's calling that which was his own created not being into this union that's going to go on forever. And we're called to do that here and now while we wait for him to come back. Amen? How are we going to find them? How will they know? How will they hear unless we're sent? Scripture tells us, man, you got to have beautiful feet. You got to walk towards those people. Luke talks about the great banquet, amen? This huge feast. But we know where the bread of life is, and we've turned our lives into a banqueting hall. Oh no, Jesus wants a picnic. He prepares a table in the presence of his enemies. Are we using our influence in every sphere we have to prepare and share the fatted calf with those who've yet to taste and see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? You have a way you can do that. It can be with the poor physically, the poor spiritually, the poor emotionally, because we all have our common lot, amen? We can't just look at the folks that are downtown and say, oh, they've got it so much worse than us. We're no different. Our sin just looks a little bit different. Our needs look a little bit different. You know, the churches often preach the parable of the Good Samaritan. They've taken it a little bit different. When you read the whole piece, it starts off with this great line. And this man, wanting to justify himself, walked up to Jesus and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And all we can do is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and ye shall be saved. There's nothing that we can do. All of our good works, the Bible tells us, are as filthy rags. All of them. So do we not do them? No, we do do them with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. How much time do I have? I'm an African preacher. I can go for days. Don't laugh. It's true. Dave, give me some time. Oh, that's a good answer. (laughs) Dude, it's Africa. We break for lunch and come back. Man, I'm good with it. Seriously. Yeah, when do you want me to stop? I see a clock. That just says nothing to me. 10.30. 10.30. Awesome. So I'm going to have you guys open your scripture then. Is this making sense to you guys? Are you tracking? I get excited. and I, I'm, I have a cold, so I don't know what's coming out of my mouth, which is kind of fun. <laughs> I have notes, though. Trust me. We're going to look at them. We're going out for lunch. If you could give me a corned beef on rye, that would be great. <laughs> so look, we look at Genesis chapter 26, right? Verse 1, sorry, chapter 1, verse 26, 8. We're going to agree first and foremost that every single human being is made in the image of God. Can we do that? 
really important. You can look at it right there. And if we're called to take care of them, we're called to take care of their needs. So when we're starting to do ministry like this, we have to ask ourselves, what is really the need? The church has a really good habit. I mean, I'm, I want to be cautious. I've been at this stuff for 30 years right now. I talk to a whole bunch of churches and stuff, and by the grace of God, I get to, because I used to hate Jesus. I hated him with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I hated his people. For me to be sitting in front of a bunch of Christians talking about Jesus with my Bible looking like this, that's the grace of God. Isn't he amazing? He's ridiculously good at all times. So he said, look, if we're going to go and take care of them in their image, we have to know their needs, right? The Lord was clear. Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Jesus expanded upon it. You shall love your neighbor as your... Yeah. So how many of you guys are loving your neighbors as much as you? Again, if I'm talking about this, I want to be cautious. I don't want you to feel guilty. I want you to be encouraged. We talk about this stuff in ministry and evangelism. It's really awesome. We talk about the art of neighboring. You guys ever heard that, read the books? It's really cool. It talks about, like, make this little tic-tac-toe board. And in the middle of it, put your house. Do you know who lives here, 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 and here? Do you know their names? Do you know their stories? Do you know their children's stories? Do you know the name of their dog and not just because you're telling him to stop doing his business on your grass? We need to know the names. Names are incredibly important. Now I ask churches an awful lot, where is your name written? You would tell me. Hopefully. Who's got it? The Lamb's Book of Life. Right? Ah, we want that one there. You know, Isaiah also says that your name is written on the hand of God. Our new name is going to be written on a white stone handed to us by Jesus himself. If names are that important to God, names should be important to us. How do we care for the poor? This is how we do it downtown at Street Church. We say things like, hi, my name's Brian. What's your name? When people find themselves in a position of being on the margin and living outside, the first thing they lose is their name. There was this old song back in the church, I will, you know, no, you'll no longer be, right? And it's the way they sing it. So when you start to hear people and you say their name, when their heads are down, what happens? The first thing, whoosh, their head comes up. It's amazing. When you hear your name, how many of us are parents, right? We're, we're in the middle of a crowded place. And as soon as we start to yell or, or call out to one of our kids, they know our voice. The Bible's really clear about that, right? I am the good shepherd, and the sheep know my voice. It's true. But you see, people that have gotten lost, their ears have gotten spiritually all messed up. You know, my wife tells me really well, she's got 30 years in deaf ministry. God bless that woman. She says, you know, what? inside the ear, there's all these little bones and hammers and anvils and all this stuff. She's got a degree that blows my mind. But she says, you know, they take this little vibration coming through the air and things move and that little vibration triggers our whole being. When we hear our name called by the voice of God, our whole being trembles. You know, years ago I was looking for a woman downtown in Hartford. Uh, she was a crotchety old woman. She would always yell at me because I made the wrong soup. And I'm okay because I'm not like that beggars can't be choosers. I'm like, you're the image of God. How may I serve you? And I looked for her everywhere. I'd gotten a whole bunch of leftover stuff from another church, and we were flying down through Hartford with a, uh, a lawn cart, 
dragging all this stuff, and everywhere it went, I'm looking for so-and-so, where is she? Oh, I hear she's over there. Oh, I'm looking for so-and-so, where is she? Oh, I hear she's over there. And my friend and I finally found her sitting in the photo booth at the Greyhound bus station. And she was in there with her Acer laptop, and she was watching a movie, and that was her Easter celebration. And I said, I've been looking all over for you. Here, I saved you this. And I gave her the orange that she asked me to bring. Her face lit up because she was known. Her face lit up because she was heard. We love the poor first by knowing their name. Second, we're going to love the poor by knowing their needs. Right? God knows every single thing about us, doesn't he? You say yes. Psalm 139 is really clear, right? He formed our inward beings before the parts saw the light of day. When we first launched our underwear ministry downtown, and as you guys might not know that piece, but that's how I started, with a mobile underwear shop, because I learned the one thing that people downtown don't get her underwear. And it made sense to me, right? What's the first gift God gave fallen mankind? Underwear. And what did that underwear do? covered shame. So when you give a woman a sports bra and they weep in your face, see the image of God restored. So we walk up to our friends and they say to us, uh, you know, we always give them choice, right? The first thing you lose is your name. The second thing you lose is choice, right? When you become homeless, everything you get is handed to you. Whatever you've got, like most of us donate what we don't want to get caught dead in anymore, do we? What did God give us? Jesus, the first fruits. So if we give, we should give as Christ gave. We should feel it. So we give people the gift of choice. It might be small at start at first. Would you like to choose boxers or briefs? And most often we hear, ah, oh, whatever, I don't care. No, 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 what would you like? We get into confrontations over forcing them to choose. It's ridiculous. And then we finally do, like, well, what size do you need? And this 110-pound guy, oh, double XL. You know, and I'm like, I, I, I don't know if that will fit. Right? Because fitting for our friends fits between too tight you can't eat and so big it'll fall off. But they're not used to. Now, most of us, after the holidays, want to forget our waist size, don't we? Can you imagine what life would be like not even knowing it? So they're being restored to their own image. Isn't that beautiful? That's what ministry about. That's what ministry to the homeless is about. Restoring them to who they already are, the image of God. Now, we take it a step further, and we take our time with it, too. We give out underwear, but then we also start to help them through learning the small steps of choice through motivational interview, uh, interviewing and motivational discussion, help them choose other things in life. I had a Facebook feed pop up today. A friend of mine just last year walked up, and he gave me his phone. He's like, you want to hear something pitiful? And he sat there, and he played this message from his daughter saying, Dad, I've never met you, but I really want to. I don't know why. I just want to let you know that I love you. He said, can you imagine anything more pitiful than that? So the two of us prayed, and I said, would you like to call her back? A choice. 
small steps of restoration. The kinship with God is messy. Amen? A lot of us want to rush in, give them four points of faith, hand a track and head out. It's not how God operates, people. It's a long, slow walk of obedience in the same direction. Jesus has to do that, and we have to do it with him as well. So he sat there and he prayed. And you know what's really amazing is this is my friend Charlie we've been praying for, who I showed up, who had cancer, remember? And I told you it went from his lung to his brain. And I told you that they said it's inoperable, they couldn't do anything for him. And I lost him last week. No, not that way. Couldn't find him, I should say. And then we had church on Sunday, and who walks up? Charlie. Charlie, how's it going? Ah, oh, going over to Yukon now. I don't care about hip, I can tell you this stuff. Going over to Yukon now. I'm like, yeah, what'd they say? I started treatments. They gave me a few shots, and they said they, they're going to try some stuff. Like, that's amazing. I said, hey, Charlie, I called your wife like you asked me to. You wanted to reconcile. Because that's her ministry, isn't it? The reconciliation of all things. I spoke to this woman. I called her up cold. Like, what the heck? We talked about trying to make things right before our final destination comes. Right? I said, Charlie, how'd it go? I didn't see her. Like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, but you know what? Like, what? I spent Christmas with my daughter. Isn't that lovely? You know, if you read the book of Mark, every time you see the word that says, and Jesus did, it's called an act. Jesus did this. The word translates from the Greek. It should flesh out, he did a beautiful work. And that's all we're doing downtown Hartford. We're doing lots of little beautiful works. We're helping him choose. And ultimately, we're going to choose Jesus. That's our goal. That's my goal is that every human being on the face of the planet will come to know the goodness of the Lord, will call upon him as Savior. And I can stand before you with absolute excitement and say, you know, a few weeks back, Charlie chose Jesus. And we baptized him right there. You know, my, I used a baptismal font at the city hall fountain. They closed it down. So I chucked some water on top of his head. Because we're outside and it's cold. It doesn't matter how it gets done. It's the blood of Jesus that saves, right? Not the hunk of water you chuck on him. So we learn the name, right? We learn the name, we offer choice, and we know what they want to do. That's the important piece, right? Here's the last piece. You know, we have to be willing to walk where they are, right? And be willing to do things that we might not think would fit. So I was challenged today, and here's where it's going to show up. Back in the 80s, I used to wear, like every guy wore, really tight pants. Sorry for the image. Everyone's blue jeans were just too tight in the 80s. So go ahead and laugh. Like, y'all weren't skinny jeans now, right? You're paying more than we did. Ours were just like, and if you wore them, like, go with me here. If you put them out, took them out of the dryer, you have to, like, do this stretchy thing because <laughs> spandex wasn't invented yet. You know, there's this, there's this thing called cotton in between the 70s and now. Like, it wasn't rayon or polyester, and when you heated it up, it shrunk. And I think what happened is, is our ideal of what church is going to look like is like trying to stuff something into pants that aren't fitting. Stretchy pants, as Nacho Libre would say, just for fun. So we have to expand what our church might look like. 
But we took our church, we brought our church outside, and we have no walls, we have no roof, and we meet outside. Last week, or yesterday, we had 100 people click through. Our record's like 201, and that's not a record going, oh, look at how great it is. If one person showed up, that's acceptable for me. But what does it look like? What is the church? We had two or three people gathered together. Who's in the midst of them? Jesus. We broke open the word of God. We have a sermon. We have a folding table. We have speakers. We proclaim Jesus. But the beautiful piece that we do there, too, is we all come to the table. We come to the communion table. I'm an Anglican priest. It's really important for me, right? That's what we do. Now, the communion table that we use there, right, it's just like everyone else does, but I remind people all the time that that table that we come to together from all different denominations, I've got 10 or 12 different denominations and churches that show up, and we focus on Jesus, amen? What's the highest common denominator? Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. So we come to this table, and we remind them that it was a, the memory of the, the Passover feast, right, when death passed right over us. And we get together and we have this meal. And if you guys don't really understand it, for a Jew to say to a Jew back then, I want to eat with you, it meant we're equal. Right? Is that true, Dave? All right, Dave's nodding his head, so it must be true. Thank goodness, I was worried. So like when Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, dude, I'm going to your house for lunch. A lot of folks are like, oh, he's going to that tax collector's house. But what the cool piece is like, wait a minute, he's saying they're equal. When we do our service downtown, when we break up for our meal afterwards, we're eating with ourselves, right? Koinonia. It's fellowship beyond a Danish, beyond a hunk of coffee. We're going to feast in the house of Zion. We're going to sing with our hearts restored. And until we have that feast, we're doing it in downtown Hartford. And you would not believe what it looks like. People stop by and go, what is that? We know our names. We know our stories. We're walking in fellowship with one another. We're not saying to the least member that, oh, we're going to help you up because there's no least in the kingdom of God. Amen? People look at me all the time and say, Brian, you ministered to the least, the last, and the lost. No, no, no. I say minister to the first, the found, and the greatest. Because in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Is this making sense? Awesome. So I want to ask you guys to do something. Um, uh, Doug Casey is here, right? Where are you, Doug? Right in back. Doug comes down and works with us at Church Army, right? Comes down to Street Church. He wants to bring a group down this coming Saturday, correct? Correct. If you want to come down and join us, see him. But if you want to make sure we do that, you guys can pull out your phones right now and text me. I'm letting you text in church. If you want to write the number down, it's 860. Go ahead. Eight, if you can't not, if you want to text, find someone that's under 12 next to you. It's 860-205-5150. 860-205-5150. And just put your name there, and you can say Wintonberry, and we will get back to you to connect you with Doug. Or if you want some more information, we're going to be outside there too. We need people to come and help out like you would not believe. But you don't want to miss this piece. It is absolutely beautiful. So if you guys ever have questions about what we're doing or how, I mean, like, I tried to give you, in the amount of time I had, the heart of God for the lost, right? The heart of God for the lost is all exhaustible and complete, right? There's an ancient Puritan hymn that says, uh, Come with ox and ass to behold a newborn king, for in Christ Jesus, heaven hath given us all. It can give no more. 
No more. So we're just doing what he's done for us. But I wanted to finish up. Do we have that video? With this little video to kind of show you, because I can talk about it all day long. And then Dave, I'm under time, so Dave's going to come back up for some more announcements. <laughs> no, dude, for your defense, in Africa, announcements go on for a long time. But that's because they have to walk like days to get there. Right? So I want to pray, if I could be, do that, and I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and open up our eyes. Father God, look at us. We have a, a roof over our heads. We have oh, walls around us. But Holy Spirit, you send amazing gifts our way. And Father, you can't be stopped by walls or roofs. You see us. You know our hearts. Father, I'm so grateful for this amazing church, this gathered body of people who've been set free by the, by the efficacy of the sick brain work of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we're grateful that by your cross and resurrection and redeemed. So Father, we pray that right now you would awaken our prophetic imaginations. That we would be those sent people. That we would have such a drive and a passion in our hearts to bring the gospel in word and deed like those sheepdogs. Not counting the cost, but being reminded of the cost that you paid for us. Father, we're thankful that in your son Jesus, heaven has given us all and can give no more. Let our lives be a thank offering. Your word tells us that you're not a hungry God. The bulls and cattle of a thousand hills are yours. You don't desire them. They're your stalls. They're your animals. What you do desire is a true and contrite heart. Father, our land's full of widows and orphans in nursing homes, down the street, in our own families. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear where you are. Oh, Lord, we love you. Oh, Father, we praise you. Oh, Spirit, we desire and crave your presence in our lives. That the world might look at this church and go, Oh, my gosh, what is up with them? And as they said of the early disciples, they are turning the world upside down. When we know in truth, we're turning it right side up. And all God's people said, amen. You ready? Oh, man, this is some fun stuff. <laughs>